Hi, and welcome to the Vine Community Church Podcast. We hope that what you're about to hear will help you to flourish in God's grace and bear fruit through loving God, loving each other, and loving our community. As we were singing this morning, and particularly in the the last song, How Great Thou Art, I was just reminded that that earlier this morning, um, some of us meet for pre-service prayer um, at about at 7.30, and if you were up at 7.30 and happened to look outside um, at 7.30, the sunrise this morning was absolutely gorgeous. Um, it was that kind of pink and orange in with the clouds, um, just absolutely beautiful. I got here this morning, though, uh, when it was still dark, and so as I go in there and sit down, uh, these several other men are like, did you see the sunrise? And I'm so thankful they did, so I got up and I went and I looked. And I saw just some of the beauty of, of how great our God is, even as we were just singing. And I share that with you right now uh, because every week when we gather here together, part of what our job and responsibility to one another is as, as believers is to remind one another, to, we minister to one another as we remind one another to look to how great our God is. And so I want to say to you this morning, um, yes, to the worship team, but, but to you, thank you for the, this morning for ministering to my heart, for helping me to look together to how great our God is. Thank you for doing that with one another um, today. My name is Tim Barton. I'm one of the pastors here at The Vine. Um, and, and as we look to God's word this morning, I'm going to start you with a question like I'm prone to doing. Um, and this, that question today is, what makes a person worthy of honor? Think about that for a minute. I actually want you to think about it. What makes a person worthy of honor? In our culture today, a lot of times when we think of that, it has to do with social status. We honor movie or TV stars. We even seem to want to know what they think about things. I don't, I don't really know that much why. That's my honest admission. <laughs> we honor athletes. Now, I love sports. I love watching sports. I love playing sports. I love coaching sports. But we honor these guys and girls for what they can do on a field running around playing a game that means nothing for eternity. Or billionaires. Maybe, you know, we, we honor billionaires because evidently they're smarter than most of us because they've sure figured out a way to make a bunch of money. So we honor them as a culture. We honor influencers, um, those who can, can, can get enough likes and attention on social media. That is, that is a job, if you didn't know that. Um, I had to look it up. But then we, we honor influencers. We honor good bloggers, those who can write really well and get people's, get people's attention and, and have influence in that way. And I think even at the, in the church sometimes, we honor people for the wrong reasons. We honor people because they preached a good sermon. We honor people because they sing a great song. We honor people because they look really busy all the time. And so when we think about what makes a person worthy of honor, it's important to do that because, because what we think makes a person worthy of honor affects how we look at one another. It affects how we look at our spouses. 
It affects how we look at our children. And, and the list goes, goes on and on. And, and, and it has great impact on how we train others of what's important and values in our families and how we teach one another to live and serve in the church and in the community around us. But what we're going to see today is that our thinking should be different than the world around us. Our thinking of what honors, what, what causes someone to be worthy of honor should be different. Because Jesus makes us worthy of honor. We're in Philippians chapter 2. We're going to read verses 19 through 30. So I'd invite you to turn there. Um, and I'd ask that, that if you're able and willing, if you would stand with me as we read God's word. This is God's word. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on, on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am more than eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So Lord, as we look to your word this morning, Lord, we ask that by your Spirit's presence and power. Lord, that you would take the words of this passage, those things that you've placed on my heart, and Lord, the thing that we need to hear, that you would give us ears to hear, hearts to receive, and the things that we don't, that you would cause to fall away. Lord, may your name be exalted as we look at your word. And Lord, as a result, may we see the good for your people. Lord, we pray for every church in this community, in this state, in this country, in this world, Lord, that are seeking to faithfully, faithfully proclaim your word. And Lord, we ask that you would take it and use it in these same ways. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So today, uh, we're continuing in our series on becoming confident in Christ. And I want to remind you um, today, I was, I was talking with someone earlier this week. Um, you know, a lot of times when we say gospel, um, when we come to the word gospel, we think, I was a sinner and Jesus died for me. 
But I want to I make sure we're on the same page again today on the bigger picture of what that is. Um, so when we say gospel, it is a reminder that, that we, are, we were created in the image of God. And that should bring us honor. But that image and, and who we were was broken by sin in the world and by our sin. But through the perfect life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the definition of who we are, the definition of, of whose we are, has, it, it has changed and it's been declared again that, that followers of Jesus are now children of God. And it's been declared that the brokenness in this world, those things we see that cause so much hurt and pain and confusion, the brokenness in this world will ultimately be restored in the new heavens and the new earth. And so our lives, our training, the responsibility we have as a church to one another is to point one another to the honor that we receive through Jesus' work. And therefore, we live our lives doing what he says is good, learning more and more that it is through his work, through his way, that we receive honor. And so the context immediately, the reason for that is, is that, that in chapter 1, verse 27, Paul says, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel, of this bigger picture of God at work, of God restoring all things and redeeming all things for those who are in Christ, he's at work doing these things. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. And then it goes from chapter 127, he goes into chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, which is that big thing we've looked at multiple times, um, talking about Jesus and who Jesus was and what he had done and, and how he had put the interest of others before himself. And then the last two weeks, we've looked in verses 12 through 18, it's broken up into two sermons. We've looked at the outpouring of that. What, what does it look like to work those things out? And so now in our passage this morning, we have Paul giving what, what at first glance, I mean, if we're being honest as, as we read through that, at first glance it's like, okay, so Paul's has this random narrative inserted here about two young guys and his own travel plans. Right? That's kind of what it looks like on first glance. But we need to remember that that God, through the writing of Paul, uh, wasn't wasting ink here. Right? Everything that's here is for our good, even when we don't understand it. And so it's here, um, and, it's, and I will tell you, it's very important. Because remembering the context of what's here, we can see that Paul, um, it, what he's doing is giving a clear application through the lives of two guys of what he's been talking about in chapter 1 and 2 up until this point. And particularly what he's been talking about in verses um, 12 through 18. He's showing two guys here who are living out of the honor they have received from Jesus. And he's pointing out that it's actually the honor that they have received from Jesus that, that requires everyone else to show them honor, right? It's, it's what he's, they've received from Jesus. And so he's showing them, and I think he's showing us, this is how you're to live in, the pagan, in a pagan world. You do this by putting the gospel first. And these two men are very different from each other. Their gifts are different. The practical outpouring is different. But they have a similar desire of heart. So, uncharacteristically, 
these two, the two points of the sermon this morning are going to be very simple. Point one is Timothy. Point two is Epaphroditus. I know that's not normal. That's what we're doing. Because, again, these are the application. Okay? So, let's look at Timothy first. And as we do this, we can learn how we are to ask Jesus by his Holy Spirit to change us um, more and more as well. So, Timothy. So, we know Timothy was born of a Jewish mother, Eunice. We see that in, the, um, in Acts. And he was born of a Greek father, He was present when Lydia uh, became a believer in Acts chapter 16. It's kind of a prominent um, uh, story in in the book of Acts. He was a devoted disciple of Paul. Um, They had this father and son friendship, which we'll look at again in a minute. And Timothy was, was on the missionary journey with Paul, and then he had remained present with Paul, even in house arrest. And so from verse 19, it seems that the church is asking for Timothy to be sent back to them, And so they send Epaphroditus to care for Paul so that Timothy can come back. But Paul's responding to them that that he doesn't want to let Timothy go because verse 20 says, I have no one like Timothy. There's no one right now who is living and having the mind of Christ to the extent that Timothy does around me. And so he uses Timothy as an example to the Philippian church saying, imitate and honor this man, Timothy. Now, if this was us, right? If If this was us, Here's how it might go. Here's, how, here's what we might say. All right. Honor Timothy because he got me better treatment in prison. Or honor Timothy because he is loved by the government here. Or honor Timothy because he's made a lot of money for the cause, for the Christian, the Christian way. Or honor Timothy because he's become a great preacher of the word and numerous people are coming to listen to him. It's not that all those things are bad in and of themselves. But Paul said, no, that's not why you need to honor Timothy. You honor Timothy because he represents a man whose life has been transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. He is living as a man who has received the honor of following Jesus. And we see what that looks like in verses 20 to 22. First, he is genuinely concerned about the welfare of the people of God. Look at verse 20. Again, he says, For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. So this word that Paul uses here to to describe Timothy means um, for for genuine is that it's faithful, it's sincere. Um, Yes, yes, genuine. And he's telling the Philippian church, here's how we would say it, that Timothy is the real deal. He's the real deal. Timothy's not one who's trying to get their approval. He's not trying to earn something by serving them. He won't be using them for his own gain. Paul is is telling them, he's calling out to them, you can trust this young man. Because he is always putting the Lord first by seeking the good and welfare of others in his gospel ministry. Now I hear often, hey, can you give us a takeaway for this week? Well, here's your first takeaway. Will you pray? Will you pray this for your elders? Will you pray this for your pastors. The this I'm talking about is that we need the power and the work of the Holy Spirit 
to help us to grow and continue to lead in seeking the good and welfare of you through genuine and faithful gospel ministry. Now, it may bother some of you that I'm asking you to pray that because you may be sitting there thinking, does that mean you don't care about us? Now, I can tell you that it is the desire of the heart of your pastors and your elders. Your welfare matters. It is a deep desire for us to care for that. But I can also tell you that we can't do that in our own strength. And I'm asking you, will you join us in praying for us in that way? Second thing he sees is, he see, or we see about Timothy is that he seeks the interest of Jesus Christ. Verse 21, he's actually speaking um, of what the church in Rome is not doing, calling out what Timothy's doing, but he's saying, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Timothy was seeking the interest of Christ. Timothy knew that this work he was called to was not about his name being known or the notoriety or the position or the things he received for ministry. And so he's able to seek the interest of Jesus by seeking the interest of others. He's also humble in service. Uh, verse 22, Paul says, But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served me with the gospel. He says, As a son with a father he has served me in the gospel. Now, so and it's important to note, in that culture, a son would honor his father. A son would honor his father. He wouldn't seek to push his father out of the way for the inheritance or to receive the, push his father out of the way so that he could receive the prominence in the family. And the father also cared about the son because he saw the son as the future of the family. And so there was a humble honor extended both to the father and to the son. And Paul uses this to explain Timothy's attitude, his attitude and humility. And to show that that's right because it's the attitude of Jesus. Timothy, according to Paul here, is an example of, of working out in a person's life what Jesus had done. And he says, through Jesus working in him, Timothy had the phrase here written in, in the verses, in verse 22, is proven his worth. The Greek um, specific there is he had been approved by testing. He had been tested. He had been approved in this, that, that this is who he was. And so he had proven his worth. And so this is indication that in dependence on Christ's strength, he was able to work out his salvation like we've been talking about the last few weeks. Through putting away, grumbling and complaining. I'll tell you that as we've been going through these verses um, my children and I have been having that conversation a lot. I said that in the first service and one of my children rolled his eyes um, because he knows I've said it to him and he said it to me. Um, and we've, we've been working through those things, um, reminding one another of what this looks like. We're to count others more significant. It says Timothy was doing that. He was having a servant attitude toward others in obedience to God. But there's one other thing we see about Timothy here. And that is that he demonstrated an understanding of the need to work together for the gospel. And that required great humility, great humbleness, and a willingness 
to submit to one another. We're independent Americans. Submitting to one another is not something that we really get excited about. But in Christianity, in Christianity, the older generation, this, this is, I'm actually speaking to the younger generation, but this also applies to the older generation. Because in Christianity, the older generation, we see this as Paul talks to Timothy later um, in, in um, 1 Timothy, the older generation is to be training and helping the younger generation. But see, the, one of the problems today is that the younger generation, I'm a little confused here because I don't know which one I fall in. Um, <laughs> the younger generation has forgotten or even has never learned what it means to be discipled because we kind of have this arrogance that we have all the answers. And in fairness, that's not just this older generation and this younger generation. This has been going on for years. But in Christianity, we're called to this. Now just imagine for a minute that Let's say 10 years from now, you're, you go to prison. You go to prison for preaching or for living out or for standing firm in the gospel. Is there someone that you are pouring into that when you're in that situation, that's the person that you want to come and to see you and to minister to you and to care for you? Do you have that in your life? That's the call to Christianity, and we see that with Timothy. Second point, I told you it was another one word, Epaphroditus. Now, Paul's relationship with Epaphroditus was different. Um, Epaphroditus was, Paul probably didn't lead him to Christ. He had just come on the scene recently. But, but Jesus in the gospel brought these two men together. Paul was a Pharisee, religious leader, became believer, now a great apostle. Epaphroditus was just a young Gentile believer. He was a young layman. He was not a pastor over a group of people. He wasn't an elder. He wasn't a deacon. He wasn't some great speaker. He had received no special revelation outside of saving faith. And, and he wrote no books. In fact, this is the first time... We hear about Epaphroditus, and there's a few verses here on him. We hear about him one more time in Scripture, and that's in Philippians chapter 4, verse 18, and all that's doing is referring back to this time where we hear about him. That's it. That's all we know. But he's a man who faithfully did his duty in a small manner by putting on the mind of Christ in a delivery of a gift to Paul. So there's four things I want you to see about him. Paul says these, all, all these things in verse 25. He says, I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. All right, so four things. First, he calls him my brother. Paul has great affection and, and true brotherly love for Epaphroditus. But Epaphroditus seems to have that for him as well. Now, Paul's living in the Greco-Roman culture and this kind of thing did not exist those of this class were not going to have love and affection for those of a lower class. And 
It only happened among Christians. Here, here's what, think, think about this for a minute, because what this is saying is, is that the errand boy who came from the church at Philippi, who came to minister to the needs of the apostle where we see who was, who was preaching and teaching. We see people coming to faith. We see all these things happening that are, that are great in his ministry. Now he's in this suffering and time of need. The errand boy who came to minister to him, Paul's saying, he's my brother. He receives the same honor that I receive through Jesus. He then calls him my fellow worker. He doesn't say he's coming to serve me. He says rather that he works with me. He's coming and he works with me. In Christ's strength, Epaphroditus came to serve Paul. And in Christ's strength, Paul didn't treat him like an underling, a servant, or a means to get some stuff done. No, he treated him and honored him like a fellow worker. Because Paul was confident in Christ and understood that he too was simply a servant of Christ who had received his honor through Jesus. Paul understood that he didn't need to be more because of who he was in Christ. Then he calls Epaphroditus, third thing, my fellow soldier. Paul views Epaphroditus as a fellow soldier because he faced hardship for the sake of Christ. Remember, again, he'd been sent to deliver a gift to Paul. All right? He's the errand boy. And either on his way or once he got there, on his way he got sick and had to trudge through. And again, uh, verse 27 and verse 30 say, indicate that he almost died. All right? So, so that was either on the way or once he got there and he just kept going and going and, and, and got a disease or something. We don't, we don't know fully. We just know he was really sick. And then he almost died. Verse 27 says, God had mercy on him. But he was willing to suffer as a fellow soldier. And then fourth, he says, your messenger and minister to me. Epaphroditus faithfully served Paul. Epaphroditus knew what he had been called to do. And he went to do it. He didn't get distracted from that. He didn't think, oh, you know what? I think I'm going to do that instead because I'm going to get more attention if I do that. No, he did what he was called to do even in the face of death. And he wasn't trying to gain that name for himself. He wanted to serve Jesus, the one who had made him worthy of honor by serving Paul. And what's interesting is it's not like he said he hated the church he, le he, he would left from. He loved the church. He was concerned that they were concerned for him. He was even maybe a little homesick. But he wasn't trying to get on to the next bigger or greater thing. He was okay to minister in, an, in obscurity, to minister without anyone else knowing what he was doing. This week I, I read an illustration. I, I, can't, I actually can't remember where it was from because I, I read some different um, um, articles and commentaries, a couple sermons as I was just thinking through this. And so I can't remember where I read it. I should have written it down. But um, I read about a church in Arizona um, where above the door, well, so, so before that, every, every person in the church, the pastor, the worship team, um, the, the elders, the congregation, adults and children alike, 
Every person came into the worship space through the same door. And above that door, in big letters, bold letters that couldn't be missed, it said, Servant's Entrance. Do we think about that when we walk through those doors? We've received honor through Jesus. Do we come in looking around at everyone else and think, we've come in to be servants, the servant's entrance. I think those same words should be written above the door frames in our homes. Servant's entrance. Or above the door frames in our schools for Christians as we walk in, servant's entrance. Or in our workplace, servant's entrance. If you're still working from home, maybe it's on the Zoom link that you click. Servant's entrance. We have been made worthy of honor because of what Jesus has done. Because we have believed the gospel. And we live out of that. And the only way to live out of that to recognize that we are all his servants and therefore servants of one another. Y'all realize that's what it's going to be like in heaven? There's no difference between us when we get there. I'm not talking about how we look and all those things. We're going to have new bodies and all that. I'm talking about in our standing before the Lord, we are the same. We have been adopted and made children of God. That's what it's going to be like. But what keeps us from serving that way, from from thinking that way about our lives. What keeps us from that? Well, I think there's an indication of that if if we go back to verse 20 and 21 for just a second. And it says there, Paul, when he says, I have no one like him, in verse 21 says that it's because the others in the church of Rome around Paul at that time uh, were seeking their own interest. so, So what kept them from finding themselves to be worthy of honor in Jesus, what kept them from serving? Well, it was that they were seeking their own interest. They were worried about their needs, their wants, their securities, their comforts. I think this is a reminder to us that that our idols prevent us from being confident in Christ. Our idols prevent us from living from the honor that we've received from Jesus. And instead, what do we do? Instead of letting that change us, we start to serve those other things because we think we need them. We need the security to be happy. We think we need someone to approve of us. And so we've got to keep rising in whatever it is that we're doing. Right? We think we need comfort. And so we think we'll only serve as long as it doesn't cost me anything. And I've just been convicted again and again of Christians during the bubonic plague. You know who served the people that were dying, Christian and non-Christian alike? It was the Christians. And they did what was necessary to care for people because Christ, had, God had called them to that. What's keeping you 
What's keeping you from resting in the honor that you have received from Jesus, from knowing that that's what matters? And then serving others as a result. I want to give you a couple minutes to think about that. Jordan's going to come up and lead us in a song in a minute. Um, just a, a couple, a minute or two of just quiet to think of those things. And then we're going to turn and prepare our hearts for communion um, by singing of the blessed assurance that we have, that we have been made worthy of honor through the work of Jesus. Um, so just take a few silent moments, and, and then Jordan will lead us in song. Tends to be satisfied, vain and empty, until the moment you rescue me, your love filled me, my soul sings, now my soul sings. No one love that I've ever known. 
Thanks so much for joining us for this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at thevinecc.com, download our mobile app, or visit us on Facebook or Instagram at thevinecc. Have a great week.